Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Pastor Paul here from the home office. So glad you've joined us for Romans Rewind. Now, let me just say this right up front. If you joined us live yesterday, you were in for a real, shall we say, treat. There was sort of a uh, semi-family emergency happening on the Gilbert front as we were going live and I was getting texts and phone calls. Everybody's fine. Everybody's okay. It's just what happens when a college student gets on campus, their phone no longer works, and they are needing to log into their FSU account to take this test and to do that thing. And it was just sheer bedlam. It was a goat rodeo. And because of that, we sort of ended abruptly yesterday. And maybe half of what I said was somewhat incoherent. So gonna do gonna do something here we've never done before. I'm gonna do a replay of yesterday, but hopefully it will be a little cleaner, a little tighter, a little clearer. And if you happen to be in uh, the room with us yesterday as we were doing this live, then you'll have a kind of a cheat sheet to what we're doing today. And hopefully it will maybe even build upon what we said. So we're in Romans 13, no more. I mean, there, there's very few passages which are debated and discussed as much as Romans 13, which deals with the issue of the government or the governing authorities and how we as Christians are to relate to them. And so let me read the passage in question and then we'll jump into things pronto. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and that those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes." For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, lots to follow up on in this text from our, our message on Sunday. In fact, we're going to do a part two this coming Sunday, and I feel a little bit of pressure uh, about that because so many of you said, hey, I can't wait to hear part two. You've told us all the things that government can and should do. What about the things it can't or shouldn't do? And we're going to get there, but we want to come back along here and sort of fill in some of the, the spaces and pieces of things we said from this past Sunday. Now, I want to begin our discussions here this morning about the issue of capital punishment. And this is obviously uh, a political subject that captures Christians from a variety of perspectives and locates them on a spectrum of uh, opinions on this issue, ranging all the way from capital punishment is always good, always right, all the time, to those who are quite the opposite. Capital punishment is never good, none of the time, in no circumstances. And I want to go back to where Paul identifies this and where we're where what we're drawing from the text and how I think we're to think about this 
biblically. And so the pertinent verses here are, is verse four. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, meaning the governing authorities, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And one of the things that we said Sunday is this certainly includes the idea of uh, a military army that's meant to protect its citizens, a police force that keeps the rule of law within the city, the right of the government to imprison and punish those who are wrongdoers to keep them from hurting other people. But really, when you boil it right down to it, this idea of bearing the sword, it's it's most likely, and most commentators agree about this, that it's an explicit reference to capital punishment. Now, one of the things that we can say is that from the dawning of mankind up until the present day, capital punishment or the lawful ability of the state to execute those who egregiously violate the law, typically in manners of um, unjustified murder, this has been sort of an assumed reality uh, for most of human history as an authority that's given to the government. Now, we tried to trace this back um, on Sunday to Galatians 9, I'm sorry, to Genesis 9. So turn in your Bibles there. And I mentioned that this idea of capital punishment is actually a creation ordinance. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, I think there, there's, there's two particular creation ordinances that should get our attention in Genesis. There's more than that, but the two I wanna hone in on are marriage and civil authority and capital punishment. From the dawn of mankind, when God commissioned mankind to be fruitful and multiply, cover the face of the earth, he gave to mankind the institution of marriage. And this institution, this covenant, um, this ordinance was not meant for Christians only. It was meant for both believers and non-believers, which is why throughout the course of human history, at least up until the present day, this was to be an assumed right uh, privilege for people to be able to marry, to have the freedom to, to be given in marriage and to marry. Well, right alongside of that was God's provision for the state to keep order through capital punishment. And where this comes from, is from Genesis chapter nine, Moses and his sons are just getting off the ark. God's commissioning them. Um, and listen to what, to what God says to Moses and his family. I'm sorry, to Noah and his family, Genesis nine, verse three. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is blood. And for your life but blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. And this is, and then of course it goes on to say, verse 7, by the way, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So, th so these are two enduring creation ordinances carried forth by mankind since this time. Why? Well, let's focus in on capital punishment. What God seems to be telling Noah here is that the reason the take the unlawful taking of a life requires that person to be put to death 
is because mankind is made in the image of God. And because mankind is made in the image of God, to take a life is the supreme rebellion against God himself. It mars his image. Not only does it hurt someone in, take, in taking their life and then their family and loved ones, but it also mars the glory of God. So in that sense, we need to understand that murder is much more than simply a horizontal reality. It is also a vertical reality. And God says, in order to impress this upon mankind, the seriousness okay, um, of this, of taking a life, and that it deserves capital punishment, we're going to institute this taking of life um, to communicate that because man is made in God's image, to mess with that is a really, really big deal. He even seems to be implying here that to not treat murder in this way is to, um, is to sort of subtly give license to this taking of life. Now, one rejoinder people often have is, well, well how does it maintain the, the image of God and the sanctity of life to take, um, to take a life? Um, why don't we use that same sort of rationale that we use in abortion, for example, with capital punishment? Well, there's a couple of distinctions, obviously. The taking of an unborn life is an innocent life. The taking of a life of someone who's committed murder is not an innocent life. And there seems to be something in this that, that this is meant to be a deterrent, capital punishment, to others committing these kind of crimes. Now, we could look at our present day system of capital punishment and say, well, it doesn't seem to be a deterrent at all. And, and some would argue this is why we shouldn't do capital punishment. Well, the rejoinder to that, of course, is that the way that capital punishment is um, carried out in our culture, of course, isn't a deterrent. Sometimes it can be 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years before someone is executed because of crimes that they previously committed. Even if you want to be executed, like Timothy McVeigh, who was the, the bomber at Oklahoma City, he wanted to be executed. It still took him years and years, I think over a decade, to finally be able to be put to death by the state. And it's just the way that the um, government is set up in terms of appeals and all those sorts of things. Not to get into a discussion about that, but it's important to note um, the difference in opposing capital punishment as an institution and opposing capital punishment in its application. There's lots of Christians, lots of people who might have a real problem societally with the way that we practice capital punishment, with the way that we um, perform executions and due process and those sorts of things, and who work to change that. And I think that's a very legitimate sort of concern. What I think goes over the line biblically, though, is to say that because of the abuses of capital, of capital punishment, then we need to abolish the institution altogether. And we don't say that about any of the other institutions, right? We don't say that, well, because there's abuse in marriage, we, ab we abolish, abolish marriage. Or because there is um, a heretical teaching and preaching, we abolish preaching. You, you get the idea. I think sometimes those who are advocating for changes in the capital punishment system um, do so under the cloak of equity and fairness, when in reality, they oppose capital punishment as an institution. In other words, if you were to paint a perfect picture where capital punishment was to be um, carried out and fulfilled perfectly, okay, in a perfect process with perfectly guilty people, et cetera, 
they would still oppose it on philosophical grounds, that that's not right, that that's unloving. And what I want to really encourage us towards on this issue is go back to the scriptures. That's a human re way of reasoning. It's not a biblical way of reasoning. God seems to say it's quite the opposite, that when we excuse murder, when we pass over it for lesser sentences or sentences we deem to be less humane or less harsh, in fact, it creates uh, a culture that um, is more likely to be permissive towards murder and killing. And it's hard to argue when you look at our current culture to not think that violence is something that is celebrated. Violence is something that is run after. And um, this despite the fact that um, there are still places in the United States that don't practice capital punishment. Now, again, the purpose of this whole discussion this morning is not to convince you politically one way or the other, but it is to show us what the scriptures say about this and how we want the scriptures to shape our understanding of current political sociological realities um, versus the culture at large. And so it's important to note, lastly, and we're going to end on this, Paul calls those who carry out these civil punishments his ministers. He calls them his servants. And that's very interesting. That's religious language. It doesn't mean they're performing a religious service, but it does mean they're performing um, something that was instituted and designed by God for the betterment of mankind and humanity. All right, so, so that, that's, that's what we want to say about capital punishment. Encourage you, as always, to go back to the Word, to check these things out with uh, the Word of God, to test the Scriptures for yourself. And again, we're not saying that um, recognizing capital punishment as an institution means you need to support it in every time and place and circumstance, particularly if it's being unlawfully applied or unfairly um, or, or what have you, but we need to distinguish between the practice and the institution itself. Okay, I think we got through that one without any family emergencies on the Gilbert end of things. We will be back tomorrow to tackle a different topic as it relates to Christians and the government, but that's for tomorrow. For today, let me pray for us. Lord, go before us today. We want to be people who uphold the sanctity of life. We want to be people who don't wink uh, or nod at sin want to be people who treat this seriously. And in doing so, Lord, we want to promote a culture where your image is preserved in everything. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.